We're looking once again this morning at Luke chapter 12. Today we will look at Luke 12 verses 35 to 48. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Hear now God's word. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word. That we would know you better. But even more, Lord, that we would be changed that we would hear from your word and that we would obey. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of 
being involved in a, a pickup game of sports, perhaps baseball or basketball. I've done this when I was young, and it's often hard to field an entire full squad of teams. And so you have to make up rules as you go along. You, you need to play, you hit it to right field and you're out. You need to play half-court basketball and you have to take it back to a certain place. And one of the things that often happens in this is you will be in the midst of a game and perhaps you're pitching and you throw a perfect strike and the batter says, well, that doesn't count. Why? Well, I wasn't ready. You needed to wait till I was ready. Okay. And then you go and you're playing basketball and you take the ball in and shoot a great three-pointer from distance. Nothing but net. Oh, well, that doesn't count. Why? Well, we weren't ready. You have to wait till we're ready. You know what this is like, don't you? Now, that's all peculiar or fun when it's games. But far too many of us try and live life like that. We try and say to God that he needs to wait until we're ready for him. He needs to be on our schedule. We have things occupying our time. And so, God, give us some notice. And then if we're ready, we'll tell you. But Jesus says that's not how the universe works. That's not how... Our relationship with the Lord works. And most fundamentally, it's not how the return of the Lord Jesus Christ works. There is no waiting on God's part for us to be ready. There is a call by Jesus to us to be ready and to be ready all the time. For you see, we do not know when Jesus will return. We cannot put it in our day timers. We cannot have an alarm go off on our phones. Jesus has told us that we are to be ready all the time. And as we are ready or not, there is a consequence to our readiness or lack thereof. Those who are ready will reap blessing, and those who are not ready will be sorely displeased. And then, lastly this morning, there is a question that I think we should pose to ourselves. And that is, what does Jesus expect of me? You see, as we think about the return of Jesus and readiness, it is easy to think about the church. It is easy to think about the lost. It is easy to think about the world. It is much harder to think about what Jesus expects of me. Well, let's take a look then this morning. Because you see, Jesus is warning us to... Paraphrase the children's rhyme. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And so we must, first and foremost, be ready. Jesus continues on in in Luke chapter 12. He has been trying to point us toward eternal things. To push off heaping up material goods. To push off worry about what things we have or need. And now he says, your focus should really be upon me. Your focus should be upon being ready. He says in verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding. 
Jesus starts by giving us two word pictures of what it means to be ready. The first thing he says is we are to stay dressed for action. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we should all run out and buy sneakers or tennis shoes? No. It's, it's a metaphor for how we need to be ready even in the things that we wear and be ready to be active. You see, in Jesus' day, the men dressed in long clothing, in cloaks or in gowns even, as it were. And as any lady who has ever worn a very long dress or skirt will tell you, that type of material is not meant for the track meet. It's not even meant for housework, really, is it? Because you can't move very quickly with all that down about your knees and legs. And so what the men would do was literally to use an old turn of phrase. The old King James, they would gird up their loins. Now don't worry, I'll explain that. What that means is they would take the end of the cloak and they would pull it up and tuck it into their belt so that their legs were free, so that they could move, they could be active. They could probably play a little one-on-one basketball if they wanted to. They were ready and active. You see, Jesus, when he tells us to be ready and to await him, knows that the first thing that goes through our mind is that we need to sit and wait. Right? Isn't that the phrase? We sit and wait. We associate waiting with things like the DMV or the doctor's office, where the most active you get is trying not to fall asleep while you wait for your name to be called. Jesus says, that's not what life is like now. I did not redeem you from your sins. I did not call you to myself. I did not give you faith to trust in me so you could sit around and do nothing. You need to be ready. You need to be active. It's a very easy habit to fall into, isn't it? We think about our salvation. And we think of the long way off, long way off we like, death and glory. And we think all we need to do is somehow survive the period of time between our trusting in Christ and glory. But Jesus says that's not what life is like. You are to wait, but wait and be ready and be active There's an expectation here. You might think of it this way. Do you remember when you were young, or perhaps you're young now, and you're getting ready to go on a great vacation? And mom says, as soon as dad gets home from work, we're packing up the car and we're going. Do you remember what kind of expectation you had for that? You were probably ready with your vacation material at 9.30 in the morning, sitting at the door. When will he be home? Come on, have lunch. No, Dad could be home any minute. we got to go as soon as he comes home. Honey, it's 4 o'clock. He'll be home in a night. I don't know. Maybe he got off early. Let's wait. There's an expectation, an eagerness. That's how Jesus wants you to wait, with a sense of joy of what is to come. It's not killing time. It's being ready. Jesus gives us a second word picture that tells us not only are we to be active and to be ready, but we are to be prepared. He says, we are to be like those servants who keep your lamps burning. Now, what does this mean? This is, again, 
cultural to the Bible's day and age. But I think we can understand it. You see, in Bible days, when the sun went down and it got dark, you went to bed because there was no light. There were no street lights, no headlights, no lamps, electricity, no switches, no fluorescent bulbs. It was dark. The only way to beat back the darkness was to have a lamp. But you see, a lamp isn't exactly something you want to be fumbling around in the dark with. It's got usually glass or something like it on the top. It's got an uh, an urn area where you have to put flammable oil and you have to place the wick in and trim the wick right and get it ready and then have it lit. You can't do that in the pitch dark. Some of you know this firsthand. You remember the last time the lights went out in your house at a power outage? And you looked at each other and you said, now where did we put the flashlights? And did we change the batteries in them? Or do we have to find batteries too? Right? And you fumble around and knock things over just to get one flashlight lit so that you can find other things. Well, you see, Jesus says you shouldn't be fumbling around when you're waiting. You should be prepared and ready. You should have your lamps ready, your supply of oil to refill, the wicks trimmed, the light set, so that you don't have to be concerned about whether you will have light. You have prepared. You are ready to be active because you have prepared in advance. See, the waiting here is extremely active. There is the height of readiness in these servants. They are ready, look at verse 36, to open the door at once. The word there is very sharp. It means immediately. As soon as you almost hear the first knock, the door is open. You have to imagine these servants, they've probably opened the door two or three times thinking they heard a knock. They're so ready and waiting. And they're also willing to persevere in waiting. You see that in verse 38? If the master comes home at the second watch or at the third watch. Now, when you went to a Jewish wedding, you did not know when it was going to finish. They didn't tell you you must vacate the hall at 11 p.m. No. It could go well into the night. It could actually go into the next day. And so you're not only to be ready, Jesus says, you're to be like the servants who are ready through 3 o'clock in the morning. Are you ready at 1.30 a.m. for Jesus? Are you ready at any moment in time? Or do you sometimes get sick and tired of waiting? You know, this happens to some. You know someone who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They say they believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But then they get tired of waiting for their life to get better. They get tired of things not changing radically. They get tired of doing the things of God. And they finally give up. Jesus calls us to a readiness that perseveres that goes through. And when that occurs, the miraculous happens. Look at verse 37. The most stunning reversal you will see in a context like this. The listeners would have been blown away. When the master comes back and knocks on the door and they open, according to all dictates 
of propriety, they would sit the master down and take off his cloak and give him a snack and give him something to drink and refresh him. But no, that's not what happens. The master says, I'm so thankful that you are here. I have been longing to be with you. Let me serve you. That's what waiting for Jesus is like. You see, we wait for the day in which Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, he longs to shower blessings on us. He longs to show us his love. He longs for us to see his service firsthand. This is what it means to be ready as one who is a faithful servant. But there is more than service that's involved in being ready. Because you see... Jesus does not tell us when he is coming. And so he gives us another parable, an illustration, that we are to be ready as one who does not know the hour. He says, Know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now this is something that makes perfect common sense, doesn't it? I dare say none of you have received a phone call like this. Hello? Hi, this is your local felon. I was thinking of coming down and robbing your house this Thursday. How does 6.30 work for you? Can you leave the back door open? It's foolish, right? It's ridiculous. And yet, isn't that often how we look at the return of Jesus? Now, we may say to ourselves, well, we're not like these people who pick a day and an hour, who say Jesus will come back according to all of these calculations in the year 2019 on May 5th. But when we treat Jesus as someone who is coming back always when we expect, that we could push Jesus off, aren't we doing the same thing? When we say to ourselves, well, I know I really shouldn't treat my wife like that, but... I've got some time to clean up my act. You know, I really should start obeying my parents, but I've got a lot of years left. You know, I really could start being more fervent for Jesus, but retirement's a good time for that. You see, we push off Jesus as if someone can hold him back. But Jesus says, you don't know the day or the hour. There is a specific reason why God has not given to us the day or the hour. Because can you imagine if the Lord had given to us the date and time that Jesus was returning? Perhaps we might initially think we would be prepared and celebrated. But wouldn't it be more like the way many of us complete college papers? You get that assignment that's due four Fridays from now. And the first week you say, you know, I really should think about getting around to that. Ah, got three more weeks left. And then the second week you say, you know, well, I've done a lot of these before in a week. I could put it off another week. And then Friday at 5 o'clock when it's due, we're feverishly tapping away at 4.45, hoping we can possibly get something good enough done. Right? That's how we would live our life if we knew when Jesus was set to return. Jesus doesn't want us just to be ready at his return. He wants us to be ready all of the time. To live lives that are focused on him each and every day. To not be pragmatists about this. See, Jesus 
in a sense, he comes like the thief. He's not a thief, but he comes suddenly and when we least expect it. And when he comes, there is no going back. His return will be glorious. As we wait for the glory of our blessed hope, his return will be visible to everyone. As the scripture says, behold, every eye will see him and behold him. When he returns, it will be to return in judgment. To judge the sheep from the goats, those who have trusted him from those who have refused. And when he comes, it will be to a great reunion, to a family reunion as we gather together around the marriage feast of the Lamb. You see, we don't know when Jesus is coming. But we do know He is. And He calls us to be ready each and every day. And and there is a consequence to our readiness. Lest we think that this is merely theological musings, that this is eschatology. You know, sometimes when people are asked, what are their view of end times? They say they're a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. But this is not just theory. This is the everyday here and now. And Peter helps us out with this. You know, I love to think that Peter is a lot like we are, except for we are a little bit more guarded with our words. He says what we think. And so you can see here in verse 41, Peter says, Lord, are you telling us this parable for us or for all of us? Um, teacher, should I have been taking notes here? Will this be on the exam or is this just good information? I love the information, but really, is it on the exam? Do I need to know this? And, and you see, Jesus in his graciousness does not do what your teacher might have done. Do you think I'm up here for my own breath? Why weren't you taking notes? No, Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He just moves into the practical application of being ready to show and convince Peter that, yes, it is on the exam. It is something he needs to practice. It's something he needs to know for every single day. And he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So Jesus says, there is a steward that his master has given into his hands his possessions. Now, a steward is someone who doesn't own something but takes care of something for another. You might think of it as someone who owns a safety deposit box company. They don't go into the boxes and use the stuff. Their job is to keep it and keep it safe. And so Jesus is telling Peter and telling you and telling me that what he has done is he has placed his kingdom into your hands. He is gone. He is seated at the right hand of God. And we are now stewards for his kingdom. It is our job to be wise stewards of the word of God, of the gospel, of mercy, of assistance, It is our job to show others Jesus. We who are a part of the church have been handed stewardship of the kingdom, not for our own sake, 
but until Jesus returns. And so Jesus describes this, this faithful steward who does everything that he is supposed to do. And when his master returns and sees this, he is indeed blessed. Now, this is that Bible word blessed, which means more than just to be happy. It means to be happy, to be joyful with the product of a blessing being yours. You might think of this biblical illustration. Do you remember Joseph as he slaved away in the household? And what happened when the master saw that he was always ready, that he was always prepared, and that he was a wise steward? What did the master do? He gave him more. And then he gave him more. Until finally Joseph wound up as the steward of the entire kingdom of Egypt. You see, Jesus gives us stewardship of his kingdom. And all he asks of us is faithfulness. You see, we're not trying to see what we can get of our cut. Jesus says at the end you will get it all. We are to think about Jesus and his mission and his kingdom and his purposes and not our own. Because you see, it is... Sad to say that far too many receive a just punishment for the way they treat the things of God. They receive things in stewardship from Jesus and they cannot wait. They have to have it all now. Look at what Jesus says. But if that servant, in verse 45, says to himself, My master is delayed coming. And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day that he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. You see, we don't know when the master will return. We cannot treat life like a high school party. You know what that looks like, don't you? The first or second time your parents decide to go on vacation without you and to leave you home. And you think, wow, anything in the fridge I can eat. I can have anyone over that I want. We can do anything we want, and all I need to do is have it all put back perfectly before they get back. Right? But what happens nearly every single time? This is a precursor for you young people. You get caught. Because what happens is a smart mom and dad tell them they're going to be home later than they're actually coming home. And you're found out. That's what happens to the steward here. He thinks he can put off the return of Jesus. He thinks he can have his own world and not worry about consequences. And Jesus says, you cannot live your life pretending there are not consequences. You can say to yourself, there's a very good chance Jesus won't come back right now. And according to history, you're probably right. You could say it about next week. You could say it about next month. You could even say it about next year. But you know what? One time you're going to be wrong. And do you really want to stake your eternal destiny? I'm guessing right. I'm thinking you know more than the true and living God. 
You see, this is how the world acts toward Jesus and the gospel. Peter, he did ask the question. And I think he did take notes. Because he passed the exam. He pointed this out in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, this is the way the world is. They're always saying, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, the days just continue like they did from the very beginning. See, Peter says, they always scoff at the return of Jesus. And what happens is we squander time. We squander time that God has given to us to repent. We squander the gifts that the Lord has given to us. There are consequences to a failure to be ready. The loss will be great. There is great punishment, Jesus says. Look at verse 46. He will be cut into pieces and put with the unfaithful. That sounds un-Jesus-like, doesn't it? Punishing someone by cutting him into pieces? But Jesus is trying to give us a graphic illustration of how dangerous it is to deny his word, to reject him, to think we know better and to not be ready. He wants us to think about the pain and the anguish that will follow because that is what it means to be a hypocrite. That is what it means to say with our mouth that we believe Jesus and to deny him with our lives. To profess that we follow Jesus and we think nothing about what we do. You see, when that happens, there is grave danger of great loss, eternal loss. There is no place to come back from. Of irrevocable loss, there is no second chance. When Jesus returns, you cannot put him on pause. You cannot hit a giant snooze button and then somehow think that you will be able to be ready. No, you're either ready now or you'll never be ready. If you're pushing it off, that says something about our mentality. Today is the day of salvation, Paul says. Today is the day to follow Jesus. Today is the day to do His will. Not tomorrow. The loss will be great. There's also something here that we need to take cognizance of as we sit here in church look at verse 47 and the servant that knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive what a severe beating and the one who did not know will receive a lesser beating what does that mean It means that those that know the will of the Master, those that have God's Word, those that are listening to this sermon right now have greater responsibility. You know the truth. It has been given to you. You know you are to be ready. And if you are not, you have no excuse. You see, far too often as the church, we think all about what will happen to those people out there. How it's their problem. And how we are set and perfect. But you see, the scripture has its sternest warnings for those who are in the church. For those who say they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who need to be most aware, most active, most ready for Jesus' coming. That call is to you today. 
to be ready. Thirdly and finally, we ask ourselves this question. What does Jesus expect from me? And I think we see this at the end of verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Jesus expects you to be ready. He has given you much. He expects you to be ready, and that means trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your only hope and your only salvation. It means having an urgency to share the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, and people throughout the world. It means being ready and willing to obey His commands that are found in His Word, not to try to redefine them so they don't apply to you, not to put them off as something you will do later, but to obey Him in His Word. It means being fervent in our prayers that the kingdom of God will come, that it will come and be found first in me, that I will grow in Christ and His kingdom will be found more and more in every aspect of my life, at work, at home, on vacation, with children, with parents, with neighbors. It means praying fervently that the kingdom of God would be found here in Katy. Did you pray this week that the kingdom of God would be manifest in Katy, Texas? Did you pray more this week about the kingdom of God in Katy? than you did about something on election day. You see, the kingdom of God is to be found in your midst. The Lord has given you so much. Of whom much is given, much is expected. We sit here today and we worship, and we worship without fear. Just a few days ago, Two Pakistani Christians, a brother and a sister of ours. The woman was pregnant. They had three other small children. And they were set upon by a mob of more than 1,200 and burned alive. Thrown into a brick oven. And with such cruelty that is unimaginable, when the woman did not light on fire fast enough because of her clothing, they pulled her out and wrapped her in cotton and threw her in again. Because she refused to convert to Islam. We don't have that fear. We are blessed with freedom. We're blessed with safety. We're blessed with wealth beyond anything we could possibly imagine. When this text says to you, to whom much is given, you must look in the mirror. Because you have been given much, beloved. And much, much is expected. If we here today in the church of Jesus Christ are not ready, who will be? If we are not calling others to be ready, how will they know? How can we convince others of the urgency of the gospel and of repentance and of faith if it does not take hold and be manifest in our lives? The call that Jesus brings to you right now is to be ready. To be ready for your sake. To be ready for the kingdom's sake. And to be ready for the glory 
of Jesus.